Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Success has the potential to be a while of the enemy. What spiritual clothing can we wear so that we don't fall into this trap? Join us now as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 19 with Cheryl Broderson. And now here is part two of Cheryl's message, Wearing the Right Clothing. I don't want to do life without Jesus. These poor men, they were disciples of Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but they're trying to be strong in this ungodly place. Like those people that you meet and they're saying, I'm trying to do the Ten Commandments or I'm trying to live by the Beatitudes. They can't do it. Nobody can do it except Jesus. And we enter into his righteousness when we receive Jesus. We receive the righteousness of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins. So Paul was saying, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need the helmet of salvation. You need a full identity with Jesus Christ. And when these 12 disciples were baptized in the name of Jesus... In those days, it signified a full identity with Jesus Christ. They then put on the helmet of salvation. Paul goes a step further and says, now I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And we're told in Acts chapter 1 that the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, this, this second work, if you will, is that we might be witnesses. And in Ephesus, they needed that extra power to be witnesses, to stand and withstand and be an example in the midst of. I have a a young girl who calls me every once in a while. I love it when she calls. She's just such a blessing. And she called me last night and she was talking about, she's a model and she was telling me about uh, what these other models were doing. And it was like disgusting. And I was I was praying for her because she needs the power of the Holy Spirit to stand and withstand. And she was telling me about some other girls that she models with that have claimed to be Christians, but she sees them giving into and becoming a part of um, this spirit of the world, so to speak. You know, one, one girl who calls herself a Christian just moved in with her boyfriend. And it's just that kind of no longer a witness for Jesus Christ. When you're doing everything that the world's doing, when you're quarreling, when you're jealous, when there's competition, when there's anger, then you're living like the world. There's no difference, but the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he makes us witnesses. He gives us that extra unction. And so that's what you have here. They were not fully clothed. The cold could still penetrate. Next, he wants them 
to be completely, these 12 men still, with the identity of Jesus Christ, the helmet of salvation, it's also the belt of truth. You need to know the truth about Jesus Christ. You need to know the reality of the way things are. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Twice it tells us, chapter 14, chapter 16. It's a way that seems right. What is it trying to communicate to us? That we can't always trust our eyes. Because sometimes something will seem like this is the way to go, but it's the way to destruction. We need to see the truth. Truth is sometimes hard. It presents us with realities that we'd really not like to see. You know, they say ignorance is bliss. And sometimes finding out the truth about a person, it just breaks your heart. No, they didn't. They aren't. Oh, but we need to know the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is in Jesus who is the word of God. This is the word of God. This is the book of truth. And we need to be girded. We need to be encompassed. We need to be surrounded by truth. Why? Because there we live in a culture of lies. The Ephesians lived in a culture of lies. The culture of lies. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. No doubt they said all roads lead to God's. They had these superstitions. They had these incantations that they did. And these disciples of Jesus, those who were going to walk with the Lord, needed the belt of truth. So Paul, for three months, reasoned and persuaded in the synagogue. And then when there was opposition, he moved to the school of Tyrannus. And there he continued for two years, establishing these Ephesian believers in the truth. Because Paul recognized how important the belt of truth is. Because the belt of truth holds everything together. If you don't have the belt of truth, nothing will stay on. It was the most important piece that the soldier could put on because it held all the other pieces together. We need the truth just like they did. Paul knew that in this dark place of Ephesus, the devil had his wiles. We're told again in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that we need to be fully clothed in the armor of the Lord because of the wiles or the schemes of the devil. The devil is always plotting, always planning. He is relentless. And so we need to be fully covered, fully dressed. And that's what the Ephesians needed too. Like my friend, Carol, who knew I needed a better coat than my fashionable Marshall's variety and made sure I took that aubergine-colored sleeping bag with me that zipped at my ankles all the way up to my neck. I'm so glad I took that 
because I would have died in that cold a hundred times over. So Paul, having been in Ephesus, experiencing it, knew that these Ephesians needed to be fully clothed. There was not one piece of armament that could be omitted. All was necessary. We're told also in Acts chapter 19, in verse 11, that unusual miracles by the hands of Paul were done. This word unusual tells us that this wasn't a custom with Paul. This isn't something that Paul practiced. This was something that happened almost inadvertently. We're told that handkerchiefs and aprons taken from Paul's body, laid on the sick, and the sick were healed. Laid on the demonic, and the demons came out. I mean, this is a powerful manifestation of God working. But I want to say that it's also superstitious. These people already had superstitions like this, and now they're taking their superstitions, and they're doing it with Paul. And you notice how Paul's Paul doesn't give in to this. Paul doesn't begin to identify himself as a healer. He stays the course of the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, and the breastplate of Jesus' righteousness. And his feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit. He does not take off his armament to become a healer. In fact, it's identified as unusual. God's going to do what he's going to do, but I know the calling on my life. I know what God has given me, and I know the importance of the truth. I know the importance of the gospel. I know the importance of the word of God. I know the importance of being in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and holding up the shield of faith. And I'm not putting these down. Now, I say this because success can be a while of the devil. You know, we're always looking for methodologies. We're women. We cook. We like recipes. We do. You know, this was my grandmother's recipe. It always turns out. I like those never fail recipes. I told you I have a never fail pie crust. I love that recipe. I use it all the time. And I like it because it's, it's fail safe. And so as women, sometimes we want to go to that thing that, that doesn't fail, that we want a methodology. And it's so tempting when it comes to the word of God to go to methodologies. But you know what happens? Our faith goes into the handkerchiefs. Our faith goes into the aprons instead of the word of God, instead of God who is the healer. How many times have you had a man or heard of a man or a woman being promoted as a healer? They've got the gift of healing and then their ministry becomes all about healing and the gospel gets skewed and interrupted and people come just for healing and the people never get saved. They might get healed, but they don't get saved. This was unusual. What I love is the fact that Paul said, I'm not giving into this. This is unusual. God used it. God is great. But Paul let it be God's miracle and not Paul's miracle. He didn't take credit for it. He didn't start Paul's healing ministry and say, hey, I don't have to do tents anymore. 
In fact, I read one commentator who said that he believed that while Paul was making the tents, people were stealing his handkerchiefs and aprons and taking them away. Can you imagine Paul getting up going, oh no, where's my towel? Not again. Where's my apron? I just can't keep up with this. They were taken from him. He wasn't saying, here, take this handkerchief or take my apron and put it on them. He was holding the course of the gospel. You see, the gifting of God does not identify us. And it is so important that we do not find our identity in the gifting that God has given us, but in the gifter, God. Because, you know, the gifts can be taken away. But God and a relationship with God can't. I, I am Cheryl, God's weakest servant. That's who I am. At the end of the day, you know what I really identify myself as? Not the servant of Jesus Christ. To me, that's a little lofty. I might be almost 54 years old, but you know what I am or who I am? I'm God's little girl. That's who I am. How many of you are just God's little girl? Yes. Don't you still feel it? We're so immature at times. We, please hold my hand. It's a parking lot. You know, please take the wheel. It's a freeway. We just need the Lord so desperately. That's our identity. I'm God's little girl. And he can do what he wants with my life. Paul was not about to give in to conceit on how God was using him. Remember earlier in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra, they wanted to hail him as a God. And he said, no, I'm a man with a nature just like yours. At the end of the day, Paul identified himself not only as a bond slave of Jesus Christ, but Paul, the chief of sinners. He knew that wile of the devil and knew how important to find his identity in Jesus Christ, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. Paul knew the importance. We see what happens without an identity in Jesus Christ with these itinerant Jews, these sons of Sceva. Now, in this time, there used to be roving bands of young Jewish men who would go about with a, with a ministry of exorcism, so to speak. When Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, he said, if I'm casting out demons by Satan, who are your sons casting out these demons by? Jesus went on to say that a house divided against itself If Satan is trying to cast out Satan, then his house will surely fall. So we know that these were roving bands that were trying to exercise demons. And so here's this roving band. And what they've seen is they've seen Paul's success in casting out demons. No doubt they took note of these handkerchiefs and aprons and the deliverance that came to those people that these handkerchiefs and aprons were applied to. And they're thinking, okay, this is great. So they go into a house and there's a demon possessed person in this house and they begin to do their ritual. But this is what they say. We adjure you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. 
boy, that's like being, I'm a grandchild of the second generation of the third cousin of the fifth friend of Abraham Lincoln. You know, it just is not going to work. As they said, God has no grandchildren. And the demon says to these itinerant exorcists, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but you have no covering. (laughs) And we're told that this demonic spirit prevailed over them, had the upper hand, and they fled naked and wounded out of this house. They had no power against the evil in Ephesus because what? They did not have the shield of faith. They did not have the breastplate of righteousness. They did not have the helmet of salvation. They weren't ready for this type of force because they were not identified or dressed by Jesus Christ. Those hearing the story realized that they needed the helmet of salvation. When you see a demonstration like that and you realize the danger that you're in and that you have no covering, you recognize that you need Jesus Christ. I was just reading about um, a man who was, um, he was a news reporter in England at the time of World War II. He was an outspoken atheist. But when he saw Hitler and he heard about the concentration camps, he became a believer. Isn't that interesting? In the face of evil. Now, there are some people who look at evil and say, I can't believe that there is a good God because I see evil and pain. This man instead looked at evil and pain and said, I believe there's a God. Because he realized if there was no God, then you could not call evil, evil, and pain, pain, because there'd be no point of reference. When he realized that the Nazis had no regard for justice, and the word meant nothing to them, that justice was whatever they felt was right, he gave his life to Jesus Christ because he wanted truth to hold him up. Those in Ephesus, hearing this story, realized we need a full identity with Jesus Christ. And it's interesting who it affected the most. When you read this story, you realize the people that were affected the most were the people that were receiving the word of God from Paul. These were believers. It says the believers came forward confessing their sins and giving up these occultic books and things that they'd still been holding on to. In other words, there was this compromise. We, we want Jesus, but we want this as insurance in case Jesus doesn't work for us. We're not quite ready for that full identity with Jesus Christ. But when they saw that the sons of Sceva lacked that protection, they said, we're putting on the whole armor. <laughs> we're getting rid of everything else we trusted in. We're told that they brought forward their, their books of incantations and witchcraft, and they had this huge book burning. Now, we're told it was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's how much these books were worth. In the modern day, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Not one million, not two million. We're talking several million dollars. That's how much it was worth. And you know, what a waste, right? I could have sold it to some other Satanist. They could have really used it. You know, these believers said, we don't want anybody entrapped by this. 
we're just getting rid of it. Years ago, my, um, I'm not, and I'm talking years and years ago because my daughter's just turned today. She's um, 34. She might not like me telling that out loud, but ha-ha, I did. Um, oh, sorry, she's 33. She really wouldn't like me saying she's 34. She's 33. I'm 54. Got to get these straight. Anyway, um, she, 21, there you have it. She was, um, there was a point she wasn't walking with the Lord. And we were living in England. She was here. And we came over, and she had all these CDs. And she said, you know, I just, I want to be a Christian, but I really love my music. And I put an investment in this music. And the music was just really vile. I hate to say this, but it was vile. She was raised in a Christian home, and this was not good music. And there's some secular music that I don't think is vile. Like some enchanted evening. <laughs> but there is, there is some vile music out there. Would you agree? And, and she had it. And she owned it. And she invested in it. And she thought it was going to make her really cool. And so Brian said, I'll tell you what, we're going to buy your music from you. We're going to buy it from you. And I'll buy it all. And so Brian gave her $300, wrote out a check, which I was like, oh, great. That means we're going to be eating beans and rice for a month. But anyway, he gave her the money because we're on a missionary budget at that time. He gives her the money and we've got this hefty bag, right? We took a hefty bag in a suitcase to England that had all of the CDs, the cases of these CDs. So we get to England, and Brian wants to just throw them all away. And Char, my oldest son at the time, he says, Dad, I could get money for these things. I could take them to, um, there's a place in London and Richmond where I could trade these in and get some money for this music, and why waste it? And I was naughty. I was thinking of that $300 we paid, and I was thinking, yeah, let's just sell it. Brian's like, I don't feel right about selling it. And I prevailed. And I said to Brian, look, Char needs money. He can have a little spending money. Let's let him sell it. So we opened up the bag. And we realized that Kristen took every single CD out of the case. We've got nothing but a bunch of cases. And I'll tell you, Brian wailed. And I've only heard him wail twice. (laughs) Both times it was over our daughters. He was crying. And I was crying too. And we got on our knees and we began to pray. You know what the Lord told us? don't say a word about this to her. Don't say a word to her. I'm working. So Kristen came to Jesus, fully to Jesus, her whole identity with Jesus about four weeks later, and she moved back to England. And I'd find that little broken girl on the staircase or in her room or at the kitchen table with her Bible open, just reading and loving Jesus. I think I told you this before, when she came back to Jesus and she came to Calvary Chapel, London, the people, because they all had testimonies, they queued up, lined up to hug her and kiss her and tell her, welcome back. It was the most beautiful thing. I was sobbing. I was holding my stomach. I was sobbing so bad. She was sobbing. They were sobbing. It was beautiful. But one of the interesting things is after Kristen got married about um, seven months later, I turned to my niece and I said, you know, I haven't told anybody the story of the CDs. And I said, you know, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And she said, oh, Aunt Cheryl, you don't know. You don't know. And I said, no, I don't know. She said, the day you left, Kristen pulled out the box and said, what have I become? 
I just ripped off my mom and dad. What is going on with me? And she said, we went out to the trash can and we broke every single one in half. And Kristen gave her life back to Jesus. You know, naughty mother was going to sell them and make a profit. But Jesus intervened and said, no, these are not going to defile one other person. They're out of here. Success, even success in ministry, has the potential to be a wile of the enemy, causing us to look for methodologies rather than looking to Jesus for that fresh work of His Spirit. In order to combat these often crafty forces of evil, we need to be identified with Jesus Christ and dressed in the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Wearing the Right Clothing. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 19 with part three of her message, Wearing the Right Clothing. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.